Welcome to On Our Campus, a podcast dedicated to exposing corruption, discrimination, and misconduct in public higher education. This series, co-hosted by me, Suzette Grillot, and my friend and colleague, Jess Eddy, will focus primarily on the University of Oklahoma, but will occasionally address issues of corruption and misconduct at other institutions of higher ed as well. There is much to talk about when it comes to corruption on our campus, so let's get going. Hello and welcome back to On Our Campus, a podcast about corruption, discrimination, and misconduct in higher education. Jess Eddy is here with me, uh, my co-host. This is kind of season two, I guess, of On Our Campus. Uh, The last episode more or less indicated that we were pivoting a bit, moving away from uh, my story and my experience and some of the legal issues that I'll be facing. That story will be coming to you soon. But right now we're going to focus on Title IX and some of the ongoing problems at the University of Oklahoma with sexual misconduct. And uh, there are some high-profile cases we need to be talking about here, Uh, the first of which is the College of Fine Arts, which has been in the news lately with several problematic professors that have now been placed on leave and or have been fired. Uh, So we have a real potentially systemic problem at the College of Fine Arts. What do we have to say about that? Yeah, we really have our work cut out for us to bring light to... um this issue, uh, although I, I have to shout out to the OU Daily for over the years doing exceptionally good coverage. No, they're doing a great job covering this issue um, yeah. on campus in general, but but certainly with the College of Fine Arts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, uh, it's tragic when you think of all the young, impressionable students um, who've gone to into that college with their futures in mind and uh, been taken advantage of, abused and in a lot of cases, uh, denied justice. And I think that it's pretty clear at this point that there's some endemic systemic problems in the College of Fine Arts, um, some problematic individuals, uh, Tom Moore, Scamahorn, Ellis. But really, you know, it's just appalling to me is the lack of leadership. And their dean, uh, Mary Margaret Holt, just doesn't seem to understand or appreciate the magnitude of the problem there. Well, at least she hasn't said much about it. We, we really don't, I don't know. I mean, as a former dean, I know that if these sorts of things were being made public from my college, if I was, you know, um, experiencing these issues, that, I, you know, I wouldn't be silent about it. And regardless of, you know, whatever privacy requirements, and I do that in air quotes because a lot of these students don't want to protect their professor's privacy. They particularly want the opposite. Uh, We've talked to many students in the College of Fine Arts that have experienced these things and and they've been failed by their their college, by their college leadership. They've been failed by the university administration and by the Title IX office. And so you mentioned a couple of problematic uh, members of the College of Fine Arts. Let's just remind everyone, Tom Orr, who used to be the director of the School of Drama, had been accused many times, had been under investigation for quite some time. This goes back a couple of years at least. Um, My daughter, by the way, in in full disclosure, is a a student in the College of Fine Arts in the School of Drama. And so hearing from her, her experiences, hearing from, you know, about the way he interacted with students in the classroom, 
you know, this was, was really troubling. And yet Title IX just kept giving him a pass. There was that whole interaction with this, is it John Scamhorn? Scamhorn, yeah. the donor, the, the you know, producer that was putting on this play and was just engaging in, in horrific misconduct with the female members of the cast. And, and the university was aware and, of for And they were aware of, of it. And there, there, were e- there was email traffic, you know, right. about that relationship and those concerns. And yet, I guess eventually Scamehorn gets is is removed Responsive, from campus, but yeah, when the OU Daily went to publish it, and I mean, o- it, only then, right. you know, was, that, and that's was he held nine. accountable? Yeah, but most recently, Tom Orr was uh, there. There's a Title IX investigation. This was just been released recently by the Daily that there was an investigation, and he has been. Or I guess there's an ongoing investigation, yeah, and so he right. is now on administrative leave. Uh, the first message that was received by students in the College of Fine Arts was that he was just being removed from a production. And then the next thing we know is that he's just a couple of weeks later is that he's being placed on administrative leave. Uh, what we don't know is if he's on administrative leave with pay or not. Um, he does make a pretty decent salary, but that um, pending an investigation, he's on leave. As yeah. far as the details of this case, you know, we're, we're really not entirely sure what's going on. But eventually, Tom Orr has been removed, at least from the classroom, and placed on leave. And yeah. again, all because of exposure that students have brought to the daily, largely, because they've been trying to bring it to their various faculty members. And I have to, I have to be honest, I have heard from other students, former students, and other faculty members that there are faculty members in the College of Fine Arts that have been working hard to eliminate this type of behavior. It's, right. it's, this isn't all of the school of drama. This isn't all of the, the College of Fine Arts. But what we do know is that some people have been able to get away with these sorts of things for far too long. And I think it speaks to and what's going to be a part of our discussion today the uh, power dynamics involved in, in universities' Title IX investigations. Clearly, at times, in certain individuals, um, the powers that be have a um, meaningful impact on which direction Title IX chooses to go. Title IX operates in this really obscure arena of something resembling an adjudicative process or a court system of finding of guilt. or And then on the other hand, uh, this human resources employment scenario and and so th- that's going to take a lot of discussion and work and, and and we'll get into that but one thing is clear is o- at OU is is that if you're powerful if you have connections and you're accused of title IX misconduct you can likely endure and maintain your employment at OU and Tom Moore was one of those people he was he was connected to the Borens through family friends. So, you know, he very likely achieved his job and then was able to stay in his job because of those kinds of connections. But yeah, that is a, just like it's, on, we're on repeat, you know, right. we keep repeating the same thing. If you're connected, if you have had, you know, some sort of relationship with a powerful person, either on campus, you know, in administration or on the board of regents or whatever it is, you know, the law just doesn't apply to you. You know, it's like the yeah. rules don't apply to you and you're not held accountable as others are. Well, I think repeat is the the word of 2019 and, and, and hopefully not 2020. But if you look at Title IX is repeating the same patterns of behaviors. And, and that's because the same individuals that were there in Boren under Boren's administration are still there. 
Bobby Mason, uh, running Title IX, Anil Golahali, general counsel, uh, Marcella Fleming, still a senior administrative leader in human resources. So they have the same people, personalities, and mechanisms in place, and it looks like they're operating in the same way. Well, and when it comes to dealing with faculty, of course, um, Kyle Harper is a significant player in these issues. I had to deal with Harper a number of times on on Title IX concerns and uh, was appalled, as I've mentioned in previous um, episodes, at how those cases were managed and how literally faculty members who rape students have been allowed to leave under the radar. And that was the case here in the School of Drama when with Matthew Ellis. You mentioned Ellis. Yeah. And this is a recent story is that this story was it was reported and this story broke a few weeks ago and he was still on the OU payroll until the end of 2019 on leave. So the troubling thing is is that there are some who eventually are held accountable. I think it's harder now for Title IX to perhaps not do what it's supposed to do. Oh, I but, hope so. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. But uh, but it seems that way, uh, at least a little bit. But there are a lot of past cases where they didn't do what they really should have done. Yeah. Uh, this administration didn't do what it should have done. And then the cost of it, the cost of putting people on leave, on administrative leave, uh, the cost of allowing somebody to resign three, four months after they are, have really been, and I say air quotes here, fired, you know, that they've yeah. been fired for misconduct, but they've been allowed to remain on the payroll, you know, for that period of time, you know, and we're not talking small salaries here. So this is this is a costly thing. Obviously, it's, it's sexual misconduct in and of itself is a horrible thing. And we have student body, we have staff, we have graduate students, faculty members uh, that are often in these, as you mentioned earlier, just kind of these power dynamic relationships where it's asymmetrical and people have control over your lives. And this is what we kept hearing from the School of Drama students who were reporting this to the Daily and elsewhere. They were saying, you know, I felt like I had to keep engaging in this behavior or in this relationship, I guess you will even if I knew it was wrong, even if I didn't want to, because this person had some say over my future career. And look, I mean, there's more that isn't even out yet. And, you know, we've been talking about the School of Drama. We know about Tom Orr. We know about Matthew Ellis. We know about Skamehorn. But what we don't know, what what has been made public is that what you and I know, Jess, and others out there is that there are problems, Title IX investigations ongoing and, and other parts of the College of Fine Arts um, to include the School of Visual Arts and the School of Music. So there are untold stories as of right now that still haven't come out. So that brings back around this issue of what is going on in the College of Fine Arts. What is it about that? Those power dynamics in this creative world, this creative environment, the environment of the arts that is makes this more problematic. I don't know. I think it's very puzzling, you know, why we have so many cases there and yet we have a silent, you know, administrator mm-hmm. um, on it and we don't have, you know, real open accountability on these issues. And yet we have students and others, victims that want that justice and want that accountability. Right. I've had um, people ask me, you know, mentioning all these really complex obstacles for students who, who, who deserve and if they're seeking justice for 
um, misconduct against them by an OU employee, what do we do? I mean, where do we go? How do we have justice? How do we have reform? And, you know, that's a really tough question to, to answer in light of all these these adversities. And, well, what we know about from data like this, and we see the, this trend of problems um, like this of this nature in, in the Fine Arts College, we know that only one in six victims of, of sexual violence or sexual misconduct reported. And so when you're seeing a repetitive pattern, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here. And so in all likelihood, you know, a lot of people are looking for help. And my heart goes out to you all because it is a tough situation. And I think, you know, the first good advice that I wish somebody would have given me a long time ago is tell the police um, if you've been a victim of something that you feel is is made you uncomfortable and misconduct, you know, because going to Title IX is a roll of the dice, and on the other hand, it's um, it's probably going to serve to re-traumatize you. So, you know, reach out to people that can support you as you go through that process. I know that Suzette and I are here for all in the university community who have suffered from these circumstances. But beyond that, you know, speaking for Suzette and myself again, we're here to address that. And Title IX needs to fix this deal. Um, OU needs to move forward. And their their addition of a few more employees in the fall is a, a bandage on a, a gaping wound. And right now, the human carnage that we know exists at OU from individuals who have been subjected to abuse, harassment, discrimination, assault, you know, is just is outlandish and... Um, we need to really get into this and figure out a way forward. Well, and it's going to take, sadly, it's going to take people being able to, to tell their stories and have a space to do that. And so, I mean, Jess, you're right. You know, that's the purpose of the, these kinds of conversations. And we have, you know, space and a place for you to be able to do that because there are so many people who are afraid to go to Title IX that don't go to Title IX. I never went to Title IX you never went to Title IX. Somebody went to Title IX on your behalf, you know. Regarding that matter. Regarding sure. that issue. Um, so, you know, and there are reasons why, you know, as anyone who's listened to the previous episodes about my own situation, we knew, we were socialized. This that, this was not an entity that was there to, to help you. So on that note, Jess, we do, I think, need to address uh, and remind everyone. We were reminded recently in the press that there is an ongoing investigation about sexual misconduct regarding David Bourne's time in office. Uh, you remain the sole person who's publicly claimed that Bourne abused you and engaged in misconduct with you of a sexual nature. Uh, we know from the reporting that was done prior to these conversations going back months that there are at least five others that appeared in the Jones Day report that confirmed that they too had uh, such experiences with Bourne. We know that there's this ongoing investigation that we hope will soon conclude and that we'll have some clarity about what happened there and that, again, accountability will be had. We know that Trip Hall has been now, I believe there are three lawsuits that are involved regarding Trip Hall, former vice president and probably one of the OU employees that was closest to David Boren. And it goes beyond even sexual misconduct. It goes to financial misconduct. It goes to 
employing people into positions that they shouldn't have, you know, they weren't qualified for, paying people salaries that were bloated uh, in exchange for silence and cooperation. And so these are things that OSBI continues to look into. This was a, a recent report brought out in the Oklahoman to remind us, let's not forget that that administration is largely still here. And that that Title IX infrastructure that was created under Boren to potentially protect Boren and his people is still here. So that raises really serious questions about going forward. Can anyone feel confident that they're going to be able to seek justice through existing offices and institutions on campus? Oh, it's such a heavy um, and, 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 and sad situation. And you know, I think we've all we've all been through such a, a rough last year, and I know so many of us are, are looking to greener pastures. But the way the regents have handled this deal and the way this is shaping up to be is just to quote you from your conversation with Rinzai Stone, a train wreck waiting to happen. Why the regents put in Joe Harris, we know. They wanted somebody that made everyone feel comfortable, somebody they knew who could calm nerves. But on the backside of that, the downside, I should say, is that he was one of Boren's closest guys, and not just a close friend, but his attorney for the better part of the last three decades. And, you know, you look at at what OSBI is investigating, uh, like you said, allegations of payments for cooperation or silence and all in the in the mire of sexual misconduct and and I mean you, any onlooker I think with, with just out any kind of insider knowledge or anything is going to say well I mean if we're talking payoffs and scope and scale of OSBI investigation and sex misconduct I mean somebody knew and the fact of the matter is that those of us who were around that kind of nexus of Evans Hall for a while knew that everyone knew and I think it's I think it's a farce that and a, and a huge mistake that the the regents have gambled that those individuals who were around Boren who knew what was going on for so long are somehow not going to be held accountable. I think that that is just really a you know just a not a wise decision and it, and it gives me pain. I mean to think of what that could mean for the university going forward. When I think what we're all looking for is fresh steps and, like I said, greener pastures. Let's get some new blood in here, like they said. I mean, like Rinzai Ness. Yeah, we need new blood. We we, he, we do. He picked the Gallagher you know, blood. That wasn't that wasn't the, the need, right the right new blood. But nonetheless, we do. You're yeah. right. We need a new way of of administering this university. We need new leadership, new people, new structures. We need reform, and we need to remove all of the barriers that have been established at this university to actually do anything about all of these things. You know, faculty senate has been completely marginalized and minimized over the years. They, they don't have a role to play. You know, they, they, the tenured faculty, the, the whole process of, of gaining tenure, you know, in higher ed in general, but certainly at the University of Oklahoma is, you know, people who speak up and use their voices are, are least likely to ever get tenure. A you know, a friend of ours described the, uh, the OU faculty community as, uh, as careerist yeah. and, and, and almost not as so much of a slight. You can understand people putting their careers first in their personal lives, their families, but it's, it's really holding the 
community back from the faculty from really holding the administration to account at all. Well, that makes this whole concept and notion of family interesting because on the one hand, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, so like a mafia family, you know, it's like, (laughs) so uh, if you're a member of the family, you know, you're a member of the family and you're not getting out. But the the other connotation of it being a family is, is really a joke. You know, we aren't taking care of one another given what we've seen happen here. I want to uh, note too, I think it's important that there have been some recent op-eds, commentary, people uh, largely, uh, let's say, older men who are friends of Boren <laughs> that have come out to publicly support Boren. You know, there are various outlets in the state that have, have published these letters to the editor, I guess, uh, saying that, you know, he was a wonderful president and he, you know, doesn't deserve these these accusations, et cetera. I want to remind all of us, and I think this is so critical, is that that abusers don't abuse everyone. And when before you step out in the public eye and say and defend someone, well, he's such a good guy. He did such great things. You know, he he did all of these wonderful things for for OU, and he and he did. But that doesn't mean he didn't abuse people. And that doesn't mean he didn't abuse his power. It doesn't mean that he didn't engage in misconduct. That there's a reason why people who abuse their power and engage in misconduct are selective about where they do that and who they will abuse. And then the methods that they'll use to minimize anyone's knowledge of that abuse. And they will always, always have that cadre of people that will will step up to defend them to say, but that never happened to me. You know, I, that I never saw that, you know, I can't speak from firsthand knowledge or whatever people will say, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And so I always kind of have to, you know, sigh and roll my eyes a little bit when I see these, you know, very public bits of support for him when this investigation is not concluded. It's been ongoing long enough to know that there's something to investigate and there is at least one publicly, and we know of five others that at least in the Jones Day report reported misconduct. Yeah. And so I just think we need to stop and think and remember that abusers have their supporters, but that doesn't mean they aren't abusers and that they didn't you know, do something wrong and that they shouldn't be held accountable for that abuse. You know, this is just a, a really difficult situation, and it's been difficult for me. It's It's been difficult for others. Um, it's been difficult for everyone. Here at, at OU and in, in this Norman community, and really in Oklahoma as a statewide with regards to the investigation and everything going on, we're really grappling with an, a very tough, difficult reality of humanity these old adages come to mind that all humans are capable of great good and evil and and all this stuff that we really haven't come to resolve and comprehend. And I'm not the one to chart the path forward and say this is where we need to go and this is how we need to feel. But I, I will say that these are difficult issues that require patience and compassion and contemplation that are going to take our earnest collective effort to overcome and resolve. These are not things that we can rush into rashly. And there are things that as big and as scary or scandalous as they are, 
are things that need to be handled delicately. And and so I appreciate you, Suzette, and, and so many others for the way you've given great thoughtful consideration to how we might traverse this um, this terrain. But going forward, I'm confident that our community can handle the truth. And I, and I think the truth will emerge. Um, I don't know if it'll be sooner or later, but one day we'll have to reconcile with it. And, and I think we'll be able to do that in a way that improves our culture and our community and our society and in a way that makes the bad things that happen less likely to happen again. And at the end of the day, that's what all of this is about. And that's the whole point. There's no other reason to do this. Obviously, trying to hold people accountable for their mistakes, their misconduct, their abuse is important. Uh, seeking justice for particular victims is important. But at the end of the day, this institution lives on, and so do its students, its faculty, and staff. And so it's an obligation, in my mind, just feels like an obligation to call these things out, shed light where we can, enhance transparency around these very difficult and complicated issues, and prevent this kind of behavior in the future times have to change. They have to change. This has been going on for too long. People have been getting away with these sorts of things for too long. We've not had the proper mechanisms in place for too long. And so it is about those greener pastures. And we're only going to get to the greener pastures is if we tell our stories, if we raise our voice, and if we keep shining light on all of these issues and problems. And so we're going to keep doing that here at On Our Campus for as long as we can. As long as there's something to shine light on, we're going to do it. And it's all in an effort to make the future, current and future members of this community, real valued members of this community. It reminds me of the uh, attack I think someone levied at us once that we were washing the university's laundry in public. And for some reason, whenever I think of that, I think of the most beautiful picture um, that I think my mom envisioned and, and did for a few successful summers, but couldn't quite maintain is the laundry, you know, swaying in the breeze and the smell it would have and how clean it was and how that was the ideal way to do laundry. And maybe that's not a no, <laughs> applicable, not, yeah. but this is the kind of laundry that needs to, to blow in be, the breeze. It's got to be aired. You know, it's, we've got to air it out and yeah. we're using these radio waves to do it. So thank you, Jess, for being here and um, using your voice to seek the change and reform that we need. So always a pleasure. See you next time. Next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Our Campus, a podcast dedicated to exposing corruption, discrimination, and misconduct on college campuses. You've been listening to Jess Eddy and me talk about issues of corruption in higher education. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this discussion or answer any questions you might have. You can send us an email at onourcampuspodcast at gmail.com, as well as follow and interact with us on Twitter and Facebook at On Our Campus. For more information about this show and how you can get involved, visit us on the web at www.onourcampuspodcast.com. We hope that you too are ready to eliminate systemic corruption in public higher education as we all deserve better. For my co-host, Jess Eddy, producer Jackie Braun, and everyone at On Our Campus, I'm Suzette Gralat.